This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's up, Wildcatter Nation? A lot of you probably remember that we had Pete Walger on a while back to talk about W Energy. Well, during that episode, we talked for a second about another company he co-founded, Capitalized Consulting which is now headed up by his partner, Brian Zahn, who was also one of the first employees when Pete co-founded Quorum. It's not always easy to figure out what tech your company needs or even how to implement it, and that's where Brian and his team have capitalized. What's going on, Wildcatters? Welcome back to another episode of the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast. We've got Brian Zahn here today. What's going on, man? Doing good, man. How are you guys doing? Thanks doing for having good. me in. Yeah, we're doing all right. We had a pretty intense conversation before we turned on the microphones. You're going on a moose hunting trip in Alaska, so... You know, I'm jealous. First, first off, I think that's yeah. gonna be fun, and you're you're expressing your concern over grizzly bears. So, may have to dive into that a little bit. I hope you're not too nervous. Just a recap, Brian's <laughs> strategy. So, he's going with Pete from W Energy, which we'll yes. dive into. Brian's strategy is to pull out the knife, stab Pete, let the bear eat Pete, and then run away at the same time. And I have to agree, that's probably the best strategy yes. in the event of grizzlies chasing. It, it may not be a manly strategy, but it is an effective <laughs> it's one. Survival of the fittest, right? Yes. Intelligence yeah. above survival everything. Survival means necessary. Right. <laughs> so, Brian, tell us, uh, you know, you're with Capitalize. We met you through Pete, who is on the show from W Energy. Tell us a little bit about what Capitalize is. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, Pete and I actually uh, founded Capitalize together back in 2005, and then he subsequently left and went to W Energy. You know, you all chatted with him all about kind of some of his experiences. But, you know, we really kind of have two parts of our company. What we call the consulting part focuses primarily on oil and gas, system integration, software selection, and back office accounting, primarily midstream, upstream. Um, our clients are in those areas. So that's kind of one part of the business. The other part of the business we call capitalized data analytics. And it actually is across all industries that we work with, certainly a lot of oil and gas. But in that practice, we're working with you know data analytic technology, things like Alteryx and Tableau and Cognos and you know, Power BI and a mm -hmm. bunch of different technologies to uh, RPA is another one that's really big right now. So, you know, that's more of that focus of that business. And, and one of the reasons, you know, there's several reasons why I got into that, to that business. But one of the things that I wanted to do is diversify, capitalize outside of just oil and gas. So certainly we have a lot of people based in Houston and we love the oil and gas industry. But as we all know, as we've seen this year in 2015 and 2008 and 2001, right, we, we go through these ups and downs. And so really wanting to diversify to other industries to really help us during those, those downturns to have other areas uh, that may not be as impacted. So it's been a really, really good strategy for us in, yeah. in accomplishing that. So. so let me jog my memory a little bit from when Pete was on here, you know, Pete came from the the consulting world and then spun off. You know, I think I think he was doing the, the software integrations and everything. Was it at Accenture or where was it? Yep, yeah, Accenture, exactly. yeah, exactly. So yeah, and so then you guys decided to go off and do this. So let, let's dive into your background a little bit. Sure. Let's talk about how you linked up with Pete and then kind of you know how, when you guys decided to do your own thing and then we'll just take it from there. Sure, absolutely, yeah. 
So I started my career at Accenture. It was Anderson Consulting at the time. Actually, Pete was my first boss okay. at Accenture and kind of followed Pete from there to Quorum. So there was there were five guys from uh, Accenture that went and started Quorum. Pete was one of them, Paul Weidman, uh, Scott Leeds, a couple other guys. And so I followed him to Quorum. I was the second employee at okay. Quorum. So I wasn't one of the founders. I was, yeah. I was 24, so I yeah. wasn't a founder of material <laughs> at 24. But uh, yeah, I went there and, you know, it was a exciting you know time uh, growing company and yeah how know, many employees does quorum at now do you know now I mean, they have several hundred i yeah, mean when i left it was uh 150 em- yeah. employees so i went from seven to 150 in the six or so years that i was there yeah, um, i mean even being early you know being early employee number two at a company that's that big now i mean that's pretty impressive yeah yeah it was um it was a great learning experience for me and it was uh yeah, it was an exciting time, time for sure. And, yeah. you know, we talk about Pete and W Energy, but we, you know, we continue to do a lot of work with Quorum as well. Um, you know, they're one of the key players in the space, kind of on the consulting side that I talked about, one of the primary software vendors that we work with along with uh, W Energy. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I was at, at Quorum and then left Quorum at the end of 2014. You know, Pete and I both left separate reasons. You know, for me, I think I always just had that curiosity of, hey, you know, it was great to be a part of Quorum, but hey, can I do this on my own, you know, mm-hmm. um, and kind of just wondering and wanting to to challenge myself that way. So, you know, Pete and I ended up kind of finding a client that wanted to do work with us and uh, started Capitalize. And, you know, next thing you know, we were we were off and running. So. Off to the races. Yeah. So what, what year did you guys start Capitalize? 2005. 2005. So was, okay. Yeah. End of January, beginning of February 2005. And you know, we started off, we were doing quorum work, quorum, you know, implementations, upgrades, those kind of projects, process improvement, reporting. And really what we saw was a lot of cases where you had projects where there wasn't enough business expertise to make the project successful. So that was really our our goal at first. And we had all, you know, 10, 15, 20 year people on our team. Um, and that's really kind of how we started. And, and really probably the first five, six years of Capitalize, that was really our, our model was deep industry expertise that could marry the technology and the business and help deliver value. So. Yeah. So you guys are essentially bridging the gap between the technology and the users. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So when you guys, you know, just kind of diving into that model a little bit, you know, were you guys helping oil and gas companies? Were those the actual clients? And then, you know, you'd come in and say, oh, you can use Quorum for this or, you know, P2 or whatever software company may be. Was that kind of a general idea of how yeah. that worked. Yeah, exactly right. And, you know, one of our original taglines that we dropped at some point was choose, configure, capitalize. And so the idea is we'll help you pick software selection, we'll help you configure, implement it. But it may be that you have great software. And in a lot of cases, we were helping people better utilize the Quorum software. So maybe they had stuff off system because they didn't know functionality that could be used. Or, we, you know, we'd work with Quorum and say, hey, if you could do this enhancement, this would make a big difference to the client because they're doing this manually intensive every month and, you know, they don't have a way to do it. So it was a lot of it, especially at the beginning, was helping people just better utilize the technology that they already had. Yeah. So for those that are listening that I think the number one question that a lot of people might have is why doesn't Quorum do a lot of the implementations themselves? Well, and they do, and and they did mm-hmm. they did at that point, and and um, and they continue to do a lot of their implementations. You know, each of this software, it's, it's interesting when you look at software companies. There's some software companies that are one extreme where they do no implementation; they're just development, uh, you know, and selling the software, and they use partners to to do the the integration work. You know, Quorum at that time was very much into doing the services as well. 
so, you know, in, in some ways, I guess we were competing against them, although we worked alongside them on a lot of different projects, mm-hmm. you know, over time, they've, I feel like they've moved more to the software model where they do their own implementations, but they have a, a big partner network and, and do mm-hmm. uh, a lot more of working with partners than, uh, than they did back in, back in 2005. So, yeah. but, but a lot of what we were helping with too was, and again, I, I didn't feel at the time it was really that competitive core because we were helping with business expertise, right? So I really felt like we were working for the client. We were part of the client team because you think about companies, companies don't staff for projects. They don't staff to just have people sitting around and now you do a software implementation and all these people are free, right? Mm-hmm. They've got to do their regular job. Accountants got to close the books and do all those, all those kind of things. So we really tried to always kind of embed ourselves as part of the client team and help them with some of the things that they needed to be doing in order to make the the project successful and less so taking away from the things that the vendors had to do. Yeah. Um, are there also like some trust aspects to it? You know, like if I was an EMP, you know, if I had Quorum come in and do the services, I'd be like, oh, these guys are just trying to, you know, nickel and dime me and charge me for everything, upsell me on everything. Is there like some type of, you know, is there kind of like a third party trust element to it as well where they're like, hey, we can get capitalized and these guys are going to do what's best for us? Yeah, I think absolutely. And, I, and I've met clients who have the opinion that they want to use a third party for every project that they do for that for that reason, right? We don't have the bias towards the software vendor, you know, that I'm wearing that hat. My mm-hmm. goal is just to make them successful. And the software vendor really is that way too. But, you know, you always wonder kind of what yeah, is what is the motivation lurking, for yeah. this? Yeah. And and also just someone to help them look out for the pitfalls or whatever. So it's definitely a role that a lot of clients, you know, appreciate is having that independent, um, yeah. you know, third party perspective on what they're trying to do. Yeah. I've got a lot of questions for you and I don't want to jump around the story here, but Let's talk about scaling a consulting company because when I quit my job in 2018, I ran out of money a lot faster than I thought I was and ended up starting consulting some technology companies. And I just, I thought a lot about the business model and a consulting company is a hard company to scale because I mean, it's just a service-based company, right? So you're trading time for money. Talk about scaling capitalized and actually growing the business. You know, what were some of the challenges? How did you guys do it? I know that's a very broad and open-ended question, but... Yeah, no, it's a great question. And and um, I think it is challenging to grow, especially in... I'll talk about capitalized data analytics here um, in regards to that question as well. But what's tough is when you're selling 15-year people, they don't, you, you know how do you get someone with 15 years experience? Well, it takes 15 years of, of work to get there, right? So I think it is hard to scale that. I mean, we did a lot of experience hire, you know, hiring, we used, you know, utilize your network and, and looking for people to come on. But I think it is a tough business to scale, like at a significant level, like, can you grow 25, 30%? Yeah. Can you grow 500% a year? I, you know, I don't know. It's tough to bring in that, that kind of expertise. Yeah. On the flip side, one of the things that we've really liked about the data analytics practice, in addition to diversifying ourselves in other industries, is we can hire straight out of college and we can train people and pretty quickly get them up to speed on a lot of the technologies that we work with, right? So it's easier to me to scale that because you don't need 15 years mm-hmm. of Tableau to be able to work in Tableau. You need to be good at Tableau, but you know, college graduates today, they're very tech savvy and, you know, they come up to speed on technology, you know, rather quickly. Yeah. They grew up with technology, right? They can, they can learn anything pretty quickly. And we've done the same thing on the consulting side um, and hired out of college and and put them in on oil and gas projects as well. It just takes longer, 
right? Mm-hmm. So they kind of have to shadow at first and then slowly get up to speed because, you know, and I've worked mostly in the oil and gas industry, but it's a very complicated industry. I'm sure people say that about whatever industry you work in, but it takes a lot of time to have expertise in that. Yeah. Um, and I think the other thing I've noticed with oil and gas people is, you know, they want to know that you know their business and their industry. Mm-hmm. You know, that's very important to people in the oil and gas space. So, yeah. so um, yeah, I think it's, you know, you made a comment about oil and gas is complex and, you know, everyone says that about their industry, but oil and gas is extremely complex, right? And it's extremely complex within just upstream. Yeah. And then oh, it's yeah. complex within midstream and downstream. And that's what's always been so fascinating about it to me is that even in upstream, you know, I, come from a service hand background i understand a lot about what's going on downhole but i don't know near as much as a reservoir engineer about what's going on you know with the reservoir properties or i don't know as much about the landman you know what's going on with the lease and title work and i just find it fascinating that there's so many individual niches within the industry and anyone that says that they know everything about this industry is just completely oh, full yeah. of shit, right? Exactly. I mean, exactly. so. What always cracks me up when you tell someone, what do you do? I work in oil and gas. Oh, I know someone who works in oil and gas. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I mean, in what? I mean, you're talking about a massive industry, so. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. What do they do? You know, like, yeah. I, I don't relate very much to, you know, the person working down in Baytown at the refinery. You know, I was right. working on rigs, so it's just so widespread. But yeah, you know, I, I think that that's a good point too. And I, it's always kind of like consulting is like kind of chicken and the egg, right? It's like you need those 15-year guys, but then you need the projects. So did you guys take an approach of, hey, we're going to go, I mean, I don't know if you guys capitalized the business when you started it or if you chased projects first, but did you chase projects first and then bring on client or uh, consultants and team members? Yeah, or? exactly. So we, you know, we use the funds from the initial projects to try and grow the company and do it that way. And I think, you know, one of the things that uh, along those lines, I think that's really challenging starting up at a consulting company, especially when you're doing it based on kind of your reputation, your network and those kind of things is, you know, you're trying, you're spending all day trying to take care of the client, but at some point that project's going to end. Yeah. Right. So how do you have the next one and how do you time it so that it starts when this one ends? Right. So really, you know, to me, what was challenging about those first couple of years is, you know, I've always don't say no to anyone. Right. Mm-hmm. If they ask if you can do something, the answer is yes. Because you know what? As soon as you say no, the next time they need something, they're not calling you. They're finding yeah. someone else. Right. Which means you're working two or three projects at once just trying to finish the one to get another one going so that you can do that plus bring on people. Right. So, yeah. you know, at least in my experience, it's just a, you know, a lot of late nights. Um, <laughs> you know, I would, I'd be out of town sitting at the bar, eating dinner with my laptop, you know, working on client yeah. number two after the, the day ended, but you kind of have to do that to get that momentum going. Yeah, there, there's so many know? weird nuanced problems like that in consulting that you don't think about it until you're actually thinking about how to scale the model. But just like that timing issue, it's like, yeah. Well, how do you start loading up on, you know, consultants and time that next project, but make sure that there's not so much overlap that your bandwidth is exceeded. Mm -hmm. So I just find that interesting. Like anyone that's actually like, I know consultants always like consultants generally get a bad rap from everyone, especially in oil and gas, you know, like no one, I've never heard anyone like have a good thing to say about McKinsey or, you know, BCG or some of these (laughs) companies. Um, You know, so I I find it fascinating when someone's actually built a successful consulting company because one, it means that you've actually done good work. And then two, I just know it's a tough business to scale. So, yeah, I mean, I tell our people all the time, I mean, they are a reputation, right? It it only takes one, you know, we're not selling a product that I can just keep selling to other people. We're selling our reputation. So as soon as that 
is tarnished, your ability to to sell you know new work is is very difficult. Yeah. So it means the people that you bring on, you have to be very careful, you know, with the people that you bring on that you have high credibility in them and how they're going to represent you, the kind of work that they're going to do. Because you could easily go from you know several years of success to you know, quickly having that go the other way against yeah, you. So absolutely. I'm curious, do you think, and, and you would know better than we would, do you think that the implementation market will be around much longer considering a lot of the newer technology is more SaaS based and like really, really, you know, easy to kind of get up and going, but yeah, that, that's what I was on, ask. on the other side, you still have like some of these really, really large organizations and having worked with them, things are so, so, so behind that there's always going to be work. And so I'm kind of curious to see what your sentiment is. Yeah, like current, current, intimately current environment and moving forward in the future. Yeah, I mean, I think that they're definitely, you know, all vendors are trying to shorten the amount of time it takes to implement and get their products up and running. So I think you have you have that challenge. But it's back to the business, still a very complex business, you know, and to get things up and running takes time. You know, we do a lot, too, with asset acquisitions and divestitures, right? So that's a lot of, you know, a lot of people now have established, you know, ERP systems, but um, they acquire some wells or they sell some assets, right? And there's a whole series of work uh, associated with that. So Mm -hmm, I think that's a, a lot of it. And then I think, again, back kind of back to the analytics, you know, people are shifting what they're dealing with. So for a long time, people may have been using spreadsheets to do their accounting and then they got Quorum or W Energy or whatever. But they're still doing a lot of other things like consolidated reporting and they still use Excel a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, I think that's part of where the shift is too is is kind of now you're dealing with, okay, you've got the major building block in place, but you still have all these things on the periphery that you have to worry about. Yeah. Um, especially where people want real-time data and better reporting, better decision-making, all those kind of things. So if it takes someone, if, if management says, hey, I want a new forecast, and it takes them a week to recompile and pull the data and put it into Excel and match it up and all that kind of stuff, by that time, it's too late yep. to get that data, right? Yep. So I think that's where a lot of the time and effort is being focused on, where we're seeing a lot of work is helping people speed up that process so yeah. they can make better decisions yeah, become know, faster. Become a lot so. more efficient, make real-time decisions. What are, what are the things, in y'all's experience, what are the things as of probably over the last let's just say a year or maybe two, what are the things that people come to you for the most? Like, what are they asking for? I mean, I think on the consulting side, it's a lot of it's around acquisitions and, okay. you know, integration of the, of the software mm-hmm. um, related to acquisitions. That's probably a lot of the work on the analytics side. It's really about um, eliminating manual processes. So, you know, I, I kind of talked about Excel, but everyone, you know, uses Excel hev- heavily and Excel is a great tool and there's a lot of things it can do. But people are wanting to be, you know, talk about the the office of the future and using technology so that your accounts aren't spending so much time in in manual kind of mundane tasks and more in value added, you know, reviewing and analysis and stuff like that. So, yeah. you know, that's where I'd say a lot of our work is on the on the analytics side. Yeah, it's funny. I was on Twitter the other day and there's a really prominent uh, venture capitalist on there and he tweeted out something along the lines of my mind's blown. He's like, I just discovered that there are industries making hundred million dollar decisions based on Excel spreadsheets. And so I sent him a message and I was like, Hey man, we've been preaching this message for like four oh, years yeah. at digital wildcatters. And you know, it's what kind of got us excited because there was so much low hanging fruit in the industry. Yeah. Um, you know, pretty much anywhere where you're using a spreadsheet, there's an opportunity to build software around that to replace it. And so I was talking to him about that and I was like, 
oil and gas energy is full of it. And I'm sure if oil and gas is that way, I mean, you know, this dealing with some other industries on the data and analytics side, I'm sure that a lot of other industries are, are the same way. And, you know, maybe we can actually dive into that here in a little bit when we talk about those other industries. But I think like when you talk to these people in Silicon Valley, they just have no clue that things still like, operate this way. We've told the Susie spreadsheet story to people who've listened for a, long time. <laughs> told that a bunch of times, but we were, we were meeting with a super major um, about doing an implementation on some software. And this was like four years ago, probably ish. And uh, yeah, so their one entire business unit of this super major was running all of their production data out of Susie's spreadsheet. Yeah, he's just like, yeah, it's just some lady, some lady named Susie. dollars <laughs> yeah. were flowing yeah. through the spreadsheet every day. And Susie didn't even work at the company anymore. This is just a spreadsheet <laughs> that has just been passed down right. from generations to generations. <laughs> and so it's absolutely mind-blowing. So I have a next question. Two parts. What do you see as some of the biggest opportunities for ENPs to improve efficiency given the current market that we're in? Well, I mean, again, our focus is more on the back office. So yeah. I'd probably kind of go back to, you know, the manual processes. I mean, and one of the things that we've seen in each of the downturns, and there's, you know, there's positive to the downturns is people look at what things can I do to, to be more efficient, to re- reduce costs, you know, et cetera. So I think that's a big part. Another area when you talk about spreadsheets is, is the financial planning. So, you know, in my experience, company after company is doing all of their budgeting and forecasting in Excel as mm-hmm. well. And again, very manual intensive processes. So we're working with some vendors like um, Adaptive Insights that have a you know web-based financial planning that does a lot of the modeling that you would get out of Excel but does it in a technology um, mm-hmm. where it's stored in a database and you can do, you know, version comparison and you can, you can, you know, one of the other challenges with Excel, right, is how do you have multiple people update the same Excel workbook? I mean, Excel mm-hmm. isn't designed to do that. Yeah. Right. So how do you distribute some of these activities? If you think about a, like a budgeting process, you know, HR is involved and marketing is involved for pricing and production and you know, what drilling are you going to be doing? You know, there's all these different groups that are involved. And typically right now, it's some, you know, someone in, in the FP&A group who's doing all that in Excel and having to put that together. Technologies like that allow you to spread that out and have everyone in the organization manage their pieces of the of the process. So yeah. that's one of the big areas that we see a lot of uh, growth in and we're, we're spending a lot of time. Do you right now. see, do you see any other opportunity? I think that was a great example. Do you see any other opportunities like that for, there's just a, a, a huge gap and you're seeing over and over and over again that some kind of technology needs to be built that we need some kind of entrepreneurs to come together and, and build something along those lines. I mean, we're another one of the tools that we're using quite a bit is um, a tool called Altrix. And okay. um, it's marketed as self-service analytics, mm-hmm. but it basically allows you to build these repeatable workflows to take these intensive manual processes where you're pulling data together and turn into a workflow that then you can schedule and run on a regular basis. So, you know, in that case, I mean, we're, we're seeing a ton of work with that particular technology and it is, you know, helping do that and help not just one time, but having, you know, every month I do this same process and building that workflow and and automating it and, and saving time by doing that. So do you see, ENPs or OFS companies talking about machine learning or AI or anything because 
that was all the buzz, particularly with, uh, you know, you go to like the Rice Alliance Energy Tech Forum a few years ago, and, and not just not just in energy, but really as in startups as a whole, you know, those were the buzzwords that were being thrown around. But, you know, the, the biggest issue that I've seen is that we have a data management issue and a data quality issue first and foremost. And if you have terrible data sets, how do you intend to have any kind of machine learning or AI? With the exception being if you have something where you're capturing the data from the point of inception through sensors or something, then right. you can have something right. for that little subset. But anything for the back office. I mean, are you seeing any hype around that? What, what, what is your sentiment towards all of that? Yeah. I mean, I think that the quality of data is one of the biggest challenges, yeah. right? So I think, again, a tool like Alteryx can help with that, help you cleanse your data to make it useful. And I think where we're seeing more of that kind of predictive analytics is more around where you have sensors and is stuff in the field, is it going to fail and things like that. I think one of the other challenges is is just the whole data scientist. Do you have a data scientist? How well do you understand it? So there's just a, a big learning curve. I mean, I think people are, are moving that way and I think we'll see more and more of that, but mm-hmm. we've got to focus on the data and we've got to get mm-hmm. more people who understand predictive yeah. models and and the example you talk about now is, you know, if you're going to train something to predict something, you have to have enough data to train it, mm-hmm. right? If all you have is 50 rows of data, how are you going to build something that's predicted, yeah. right? So a lot of those things people don't, you know, they say, hey, can you predict this for me? Okay, well, I need a history of data that helps support that, right? So I can mm-hmm. teach the model and build the model. So there's definitely, I mean, people are moving that way, and uh, but there's challenges. It, it does seem that sure. like more and more ENPs and OFS companies are having data scientists, like large staffs of data scientists on staff, or it's an engineer that is now in a data science role. Do you remember that study back in like 2018? I can't remember who ran that study or that survey, but the survey essentially said that something like 90% of EMPs would be more willing to look at new software and machine learning these concepts if they had the people on staff to help interpret that data. It was just a staffing issue. You know, some interesting talking points around that, you know, talking to, um, know bcg and shell have had some they've done some work around kind of hackathons with data scientists Mm -hmm. and through our personal experience is you go to hire a data scientist and bring them into oil and gas and they have that same problem that you're talking about they don't have the domain expertise of oil and gas so they understand data and how to analyze it but i think what a lot of people are finding is that you find that reservoir engineer that geophysicist that already has the domain knowledge and then if they have a good understanding of statistics it's much easier to have them drive insights from you know whatever data that you're looking at so i think that you know maybe you can elaborate on that some but i think that that's what we're seeing a lot like if you go on linkedin and search data scientist every data scientist comes up at you know if it's chevron apache whatever company it is a lot of them have engineering or some type of geoscience background. Yeah, and I think I think that's a big part is is you have to understand the data right in order to to deal with it. You know, slight tangent on the on the predictive analytics. You know, one of the other industries we work a lot with seems very random. Maybe is K through twelve, so education, so elementary through high school, and so we've done a, a decent amount of predictive with that with that. You predicting uh, how smart kids are. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, you sorry, Billy, he didn't make the cut. You know, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, a lot of it is looking at like programs they're instituting and determining, you know, how successful they are and how you can predict, you know, based on different factors, how successful someone's going to be. So then they can target the programs appropriately. That's Um, awesome. So, you know, we've seen, you know, a lot of good use cases um, in education for predictive analytics that have been very effective. So, yeah. 
you know, there are industries I think that are using it, um, some better than others, but, uh, yeah, I got a question for you. So, you know, I agree with you a hundred percent that I, I think everyone's, if you're an EMP, your focus should be on how to improve the efficiency of your back office. You know, you talk about acquisitions, you want to start bolting on acreage. Well, how do you do that without increasing your headcount and actually make that acquisition economical? Well, you do that by making your employees more efficient, getting more for less, right? Why weren't companies looking at this back in 2015, 2016, when a lot of the technology was becoming available? I have a video that was famous from that time frame where I kind of went on a tangent about how oil and gas companies had to adopt new software. They had to evolve or die. And it was a pretty hot take at the time. You know, I got a lot of flack for it. <laughs> Why weren't companies focusing on that back in the downturn of you know 2014 to 16 time frame? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think that a lot of organizations don't have that kind of focus of kind of continual improvement and looking for those things. You know, they seem to be more, you know, just kind of stuck in their ways. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of that depends on the IT organization. You know, there's IT organizations and companies that think their job is just to be the security guard and make sure that no one messes up and no one, you know, and there, mm -hmm. there are certainly important things, right? The servers got to be up and running and confidential data is important and securing our data and all those things are very important. I'm not saying yeah. that they're not right. But a lot of them aren't as focused on looking for ways that we provide additional technologies and services to, you know, within our company, mm -hmm. right? And having that kind of mindset. I mean, I've gone into companies where I've rattled off a handful of some of like the technologies we've talked about, and they're like, I've never heard of any of those. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, it's very common. I mean, same thing for us. You know, we talk about technologies and startups, and people are like, we know, I mean, we wouldn't have a podcast and a show <laughs> right. you know, if, if it was the case that everyone knew everyone. And it's interesting when you bring up the IT component because like when I think of IT, I think more, you know, cybersecurity, support, those types of things. I, I think that should be completely separate from innovation and new technology adoption. I wouldn't necessarily think that that'd be the group that would implement those things, but it seems like that's how a lot of the EMPs run. Yeah, it's just how they're structured, right? So, I mean... You know, I've had clients who said, I can't demo to the business without IT approving that I can demo it. Why is that? You know, mm -hmm. I get it if they if they can't buy it. But even if they can't buy it, IT's role should be, you know, we don't want to have redundant systems and we don't want to pick a system that, you know, is not viable or, or whatever the things they want to check, right? But their job should be trying to figure out how to add value to the business, or mm -hmm. the business ought to have a different group. But to me, too often, they're more just that gatekeeper. And so they're not even, you know, looking for those ways. So, you know, it's frustrating, I guess, to me as a consultant, I think of myself, I'm in the service business, right? So when I look at those organizations, your, your job is to service the business. Why is IT here? Mm -hmm. Why are you here but to create, you know, service? On the flip side, I have frustrations with a lot of the, the business groups who don't stand up to IT and say, hey, this is what your role is and this is what our role is and together this is how we're going to get there, right? So yeah. I, I don't want to try and just put it on the IT organization, right? Yeah. But I mean, the business needs to have that same mentality and hey, we're a partnership, but we got to figure this out together. Yeah. You need to be moving together in the same direction. Right? right, exactly. So, I mean, as a consultant, I guess in some ways you could say it's, it's helpful to us, right? Because we are coming with those ideas. We are coming with that service mentality, et cetera. And so that is part of how we're adding value. Yeah. That's actually kind of, yeah. I mean, that's what allows you guys to operate, right? Is right. that you, you get to come in right. and, and kind of push those initiatives. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
So, you know, let's talk real quick. You know, we've talked a lot about the oil and gas consulting software. Let's talk a little bit about the data analytics side of the business. You know, you just mentioned that you guys were doing a lot of work, you know, in K through 12 education. What do you actually do on the data analytics side? I know that you mentioned, you know, you're working with Tableau and, um, you know, those different types of software. Are you guys actually helping companies drive information and knowledge out of data and analytics? Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about what you guys actually do. Sure. Yeah. No, I mean, it's everything from the starting point of getting your data to the point of, you know, for whatever reason, you have have multiple data sources, you're having to bring it in, you're having to cleanse it, you know, to the end product, which may be a dashboard that helps management, you know, review things on a regular basis. So, you know, it's kind of that, that whole, that whole piece of being able to do that. And, uh, you know, we work with a lot of different partners, you know, and so that's one of the things on the analytics is we, we work really strongly with quite a few different partners Mm -hmm. through helping our, our clients. Yeah. Um, What industries are you guys currently targeting and which industries would you like to get into? Like, I I think it's like fascinating when you're like, oh yeah, we're oil and gas, but you know, we're helping K through. Oh, I know. (laughs) You know, we've had some funny discussions about our website because, you know, at one point it was like oil and gas and K-12. How does that work on a, on a website? How do you, how do you market that? Like, how do you, it's it's a pretty hard contrast to tell your story, right? Yeah. Now as time's gone on, I mean, we've gotten into healthcare, we've gotten into financial services, we've gotten into, now we work in so many different industries. We work in all throughout the country on the analytics side. So, you know, it's kind of, there's, there's two sides to it, right? One, we talk about oil and gas, like you have to know the business. And I agree. It's great if you do know the business at the same time, there's approach to helping people. Okay. What are you trying to solve? How are you getting there? A lot of the methodologies that we would do don't differ, whether it's financial services or healthcare or whatever on the Mm -hmm. data side of building a dashboard, you know, it's asking the right questions, extracting that from the client and then turning that into what the plan is. Right. And leveraging their expertise. I mean, ultimately they're the ones who should be saying what they want. Right. So, you know, a lot of times we get that, well, have you ever worked in this industry? Well, maybe not, but that doesn't mean we can't help you with this challenge. Right. And, and a good thing, like I said, is we continue to build more expertise, certainly better if you know it and you know the technologies and that's what we're certainly working on doing. But um, yeah, we're you know really widespread in the technologies. We're, we're actually expanding. We just opened a Denver office. We're looking to open an office in the, the Midwest, Chicago area. We've got someone out in Nashville. So, you know, one of the things on the analytics side is, you know, oil and gas is you know, Oklahoma, Texas, you know, New Mexico, Colorado, you know, there's a few places, but we're trying to expand our offices across the country. Yeah. um, And uh, be able, again, kind of goes back to the diversification I talked about earlier, but you know, we want to be able to diversify ourselves, not just by industry, but also kind of throughout the U.S. So. Yeah. So what's, the, just, what's the end goal there? Is it, do you guys aspire to be kind of like that, uh, that, that Accenture? You know, I don't think that that's necessarily an aspiration. I mean, Accenture is a massive, massive, yeah. massive, massive company. Yeah, yeah, it is. But I mean, you know, what we set as an interim goal is 100 employees. So we're at 50 right now. So cool. our goal, you know, is to get to 100 employees. Yeah. Um, and then from there, we'll, we'll come up with our next goal. Yeah. So, you know, we've looked at different ways of getting there between using different partners, being in other industries, being in different parts of the country. And so that's kind of what we're focused on right now. As soon as we get that, then we'll come up with an, another big goal. And, and maybe mm-hmm. enough of those get us to Accenture. I thought, um, I thought but, it was uh, funny how Brian brought up the issue of their website when talking about, you know, you had oil and gas and K-12 because we've actually had a really similar issue where we have a friend and she's doing a podcast over uh, Femtech and so it may be like women's sports bra 
technology and we're like, man, it'd be cool to start getting into other technology content, but how do you make the jump? You know, we go from oil and gas content and then you go on our website and we got FemTech podcast is talking about women's sports bras. And so I could see that you guys had a lot of discussions around the website. <laughs> yeah. like, how do we actually position ourselves in messaging? Right. right. Yeah. Like I said, luckily we've kind of worked through it by, by getting more and more business, but certainly a couple of years ago, that was, those were our two biggest pillars. So it was a, yeah. it was an interesting thing. I don't think anyone would ever tie K through 12 and oil and gas. <laughs> uh, and oil wells. Yeah, it's yeah. a pretty stark contrast. Well, hey man, where can people uh, find you guys if, if they want to reach out? You know, what, what's your URL? Are you on LinkedIn, et cetera? Yeah, um, we're on all the above, but capitalizedconsulting.com um, is our website. And, you know, we'd love to love to talk to clients about how we can help them accomplish their goals and awesome. use technology to, to improve uh, the way they run their business. Yeah, well, you know, this podcast will be going out in a few weeks. By the time it goes out, I hope you're coming back to Texas with a, a big 800-pound moose from Alaska. <laughs> uh, I want to claim, if you have any extra meat, you know, I want first dibs on it. We'll I'm let you know, yeah. I'm it. just hoping to <laughs> escape the bear attacks. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, I, I hope that's get some, the case too. Get some cooler weather. Get out of the Houston heat. So, well, Hey, man, I appreciate you coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right, guys. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please uh, take two seconds. Share with all your friends, family, all your colleagues. Leave a rating and review. We haven't got any of those recently. We've had a few. Not, not, not quite as many. So please take two seconds to do that. I think there's a link in the show notes below. Ratethispodcast.com forward slash digital wildcatters. We love you guys. We'll catch you on the next episode.